0: Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio Sunday Edition. Today I'm talking to Peter Tatara, the film director over at the Japan Society, who also built and ran Anime NYC until just about a month ago. Now with this new role, he is tasked with bringing Japan and New York City closer together with a year-round f- film program. Here is my interview with Peter Tatara Hey everybody, welcome to the Sunday edition of Lunchbox Radio. If I sound a little off right now, it's because I have a very special guest. This is going, this episode is going to be an interview with Peter, how do I pronounce your last name, Peter? I've only ever read it.
1: No, yeah, uh, Tatara. T-A-T-A-R-A, Tatara.
0: And Peter Tatara is the film director over at the Japan Society. So let's just dive right in. What is the Japan Society. So
1: Japan Society is a 100-year-old arts and culture organization here in New York City. We were founded in 1907, and over more than a century, we've done lectures, gallery shows, language lessons. We have one of the largest uh, language schools in the U.S. We have a research library. We do performing arts. And I'm fortunate enough to captain the film program there.
0: What is, if you had to say, what is Japan society's main goal?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So to keep it pretty distinct or or succinct, our goal really is just to bring New York and Japan closer together. Um, So we do that through through all the different ways we just talked about. um, And looking at film, we've been trying to bring New York and Japan close together through film since the 1970s. Um, We've had everyone from Kurosawa and Mifune to Oshima and Obayashi at at our venue. Um, We are returning our our film festival called Japan Cuts this year. It is the largest Japanese film festival in North America. It took a little pause during COVID, um, but we're bringing it back this summer. Um, So that'll be a a massive event. Um, So all... Cool, new, different, exciting things. Um, so whether it is art, music, performance, language, research, or film, just different ways to bring New York and Japan closer
0: together. Well, I I will certainly probably be attending at least part of that since I am a member. Which I guess, in the interest of disclaimers, I should have said before I am a member. I'm also apparently hilariously a huge fan of your bathrooms because I had never gone to the bathroom in the Japan Society, so I did not know you had Japanese toilets. I was stunned.
1: We we do have Japanese toilets. It's not a perk we promote on the website, but uh, probably the best toilets in Midtown Manhattan.
0: Yeah, that, that's that's probably a claim you can easily make.
1: Oh yeah, we got the heated seats and everything.
0: What did you do before? What did you do before you took the position here? And what made you take the position here?
1: So I'm still a baby. I have been at Japan Society for probably a little bit more than a month. I joined in in January. Prior to to coming on board as the director of film here, I was actually the founder and the event director of something called Anime NYC. Uh, Anime NYC is the second largest Japanese pop culture convention in the U.S., and I grew that from uh, its very very start, through to this past year when I was welcoming over fifty thousand unique attendees, world premieres, and major guests from Japan. Um, I attended so on on doing. Saturday
0: for that, and I stayed in. I can only tell you probably the worst hotel I've ever stayed in my life. <laughs> it was yeah, like a I stone throw away straight from the Javits Center. I don't even want to say the name because they don't need more help. Everybody was very nice at the hotel. Oh,
1: yeah, no, that's part of the, the the fun experience of doing stuff in New York. You've got amazing hotels, and then you've also got uh, less than amazing properties in the city. Um, but but yeah, so I I ran Anime NYC from its founding through to last year. Um, it was my supreme honor to to build that event. I still speak with the team regularly. I want only the, the best of success for it in the future. Um, but I made the decision to to move over to Japan Society when they had approached me about the concept of running their film team and the concept of relaunching Japan cuts. Japan Society is an organization I've loved and appreciated for for 20 years, as long as I've been in New York. And I've attended their Japan Cuts Festival every year as well. And to have the the opportunity to put my fingerprints on an organization like this was deeply exciting. I think the the core of why I started Anime NYC was personally to to find a way to bring New York and Japan closer together. And heck, that's what Japan society does year round. So I'm excited to no longer just do programming, do things, do events for three days out of the year, but here at Japan Society, ideally, you know, following that mission all year round with different events for for nerds and not nerds alike.
0: Yeah, I gotta say, I I was genuinely stunned at the sheer amount of movies you guys show every week, every single day. There's usually something... But, but no, at least I think around the time when I was looking, I was just surprised. I'm like, another one of these on Tuesday. That's a lot of t- me on the train from New Jersey. I can't I can't live that life. We, um,
1: we, we ha- so we don't present things every day. Um, we do present between 50 and 75 films a year. Um, it's a mixture of regular repertory monthly screenings. We do a, a monthly classic every month, monthly anime every month. Um, and then we do various different film series throughout the year. That's when we, we do get more busy. Um, so we just finished up a centennial um, film series for Sajun and Suzuki. And coming up in April, we have our official uh, spring series launching. Um, I don't think it's publicly live yet, but in the next week, all that will come out. Um, So yeah, those will be some pretty packed uh, days and weeks when those things go out.
0: So what does your day-to-day look like? What is the process of finding about a film and then getting that film screened at the Japan Society? Because you guys have a very nice screening room, by the way.
1: We do, yeah. So if you've not been, Japan Society is at 333 East 47th Street. We are one block from the United Nations. We are in a gorgeous landmark building that opened in 1971. It's it's beautiful. It's breathtaking. Um, it, it is amazing to to go to work in this space every day. Um, the The stage that um, we present films on is also used for performing arts. It's used for lectures. It's used for other things. And legitimately, presidents and prime ministers have stood on that stage. So... Whenever we present something on there, it it just carries so much meaning Um, and deeply, again, deeply excited to add my fingerprints to the previous generations that are programming for it. Um, But actually answering your question, what I do every day, uh, again, I've been here for a month, so there's still a lot of learning, a lot of figuring stuff out. Yeah, When I
0: first Um, met you, you still hadn't had business cards yet. I got. Oh, yeah, I got those now.
1: I got those now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we got those. Um, but like, so it it is like a lot of, I think there are two parts of the job. There is the curatorial aspect and there is also just the the job-job aspect, which is spreadsheets, budgets, PowerPoints, stuff like that. The the mechanics of making making something go forward. So that's not much different than a lot of other places. On the curatorial side, that is the exciting piece. And that is done by myself, along with our film programmer, Alexander Fee. Alexander is genius um, and a very, very deep curatorial eye. Um, so how we go about presenting screenings, I guess, technically, it's got two parts. So the first part is sourcing the distributor of a film. And then the second part is sourcing what we're actually presenting On screen. Um, So, with our films, it's either easy or hard to find a distributor. If it's a title that is officially distributed in the US, we talk to whoever that company is in North America um, and work with them to get the right to present it. However, we are a venue that very often presents rare, underappreciated, and just seldom screened Japanese films, and for those, a lot of the times you are working with original rights holders in Japan. Um, So that can be a more lengthy process to get the permission and approval to present their, their titles here in the U.S. Once we've got the approval, the other piece is then what are we actually presenting? And by that I mean with a lot of theaters, it's very common just to present everything digitally. However, Japan Society is a venue that still has 35 millimeter projectors. And we try to present films on 35 millimeter actual physical film as much as we can. I think it is a, a dying art. And there are fewer and fewer venues that present on 35. But film, movies look different on actual film. And it is a physical, tactile embodiment of, of the medium. Um, and there are certainly audiences that specifically seek out screening specifically for that 35 millimeter experience. All that's to say, it is sleuthing out where, who, how can we find physical 35 millimeter prints for a lot of our titles. So a lot of these are in different archives uh, or different libraries at different educational institutions. A lot of times as well, we are importing these prints directly from Japan. So when we're presenting a film in 35 millimeter, we might be the only place in the U.S. this film is shown on 35 this year, or really this decade. Um, so it's a lengthy process. And again, I want to give full credit to Alexander Fee. He is a detective who absolutely loves the chase, the investigation, the uncovering and finding where, where to source our prints? Um, but that's something he deeply, deeply loves and brings something special to japan society,
0: yeah, i I get the sense from him that he would like hunting down like, okay, I've heard about Ramayana. Now I need to go mm-hmm. find what the production yep. studio is, who who I would even begin to call to find the right person to call to maybe get this thing shipped in a crate to here with a bunch of <laughs> promise notes attached to it. I, yep, yep.
1: I will say Ramayana was on digital, um, but... It uh, was on... It was, oh, it was yeah, before. I forgot
0: that was a 4K remaster. It was, yep. It
1: was... Yep. We um the, the the second place in the U.S. to screen that. So it was screened in L.A. once, and then we were the New York premiere of that remaster of it.
0: What does something like that say, say that would? I know that that had its own studio. It was very uniquely produced in that it was produced with a English dub first, from what I understand. Mm -hmm. Yes. And has, like you said, never been shown in North America, except for twice, one in LA, one in here. And LA makes Mm -hmm. total sense. Somebody probably acquired that. That feels like Quentin Tarantino came across that (laughs) somehow. And was like, I got to get this on a movie theater. I'm going, I'm losing my mind. But what does that, how does something that that infrequently shown differ from something like a Studio Ghibli movie, which is, while wonderful, they run pretty constantly all over the world.
1: Oh, agreed, agreed. And I think, too, like, that's why, like, when we do Ghibli, um, we do make sure we screw it on 35 millimeter. Um, so like even in New York, Ghibli is you know, not difficult to find. Metrograph does it all the time. IFC does it all the time. Uh, the museum with the moving image is doing Ponyo right now. So for us to do something that is widely accessible, it is finding something that still makes it unique. Because um, I think, we do want to present a balance of film at Japan society. Um, it is both more accessible, popular titles like a Mononoke or a Totoro. But I think that the big thing we also strive to do is present things you're not going to see anywhere else. You know, and, and Ramayana is a great example of that. Um, so how we, we, we get a Ghibli film is very easy. It's we call up the, the US distributor, we say, hey, we would like to do Ghibli on 35 millimeter. We talk through some specifics. We make sure there's not any conflicts. um, And then we do a Ghibli movie. Um, If it is (laughs) Ramayana or something that is a bit more esoteric in sourcing, it can be a few days, a few weeks, a few months to to source and get approval um, to present something. So as part of the upcoming big uh, spring film series we're doing at the end of April, there is one title, in fact, that has been at this point a multi-month long conversation around trying to present. Um, And I do not know (laughs) if we will succeed
0: um but there may be a gap in that schedule that gets penciled in every single schedule we've got our plan b's
1: like if, if we would love to to do this but any any film is very nuanced in terms of the distributor in terms of where the rights are in terms of where the source of the print is um so again some things like the ghibli titles are beautiful and breathtaking Not difficult for us to book, but there are other things that are a whole odyssey. Um and again, like Alexander has spent more than a month trying to secure this one specific screening. Um and and fingers and toes crossed (laughs) that, that it comes together.
0: Now that's a really I have a really interesting question here. Is there anything that would exclude a film from being screened at the Japan Society specifically? for example, not the most horrid example I can think of, I promise, so those are out there, but say like a live-action adaptation of an anime, like I remember vividly seeing on a plane the live-action adaptation of jo- JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 4. No, I don't so think that actually, ever came we, out in the theater here.
1: Yeah, so Even. we, um, great question. So, we do, I, I guess the, the way to answer it is, We are Japan society. Anything we present needs to have some connection to Japan. Um, And as long as there is a connection to Japan, it's definitely something we can discuss and explore. Um, So we have done various live-action anime adaptations. Um, We actually, at one of the Japan cuts, we did the live-action Bleach. Um, We brought out the, um, the director to attend the screening as well. Sold out, did an encore screening. Um, I was still at Anime NYC, but I was involved in that and actually interviewed him on stage. Uh, Fantastic. And and, and the audience loved it. So as long as there is a connection to Japan, it's something we can look at. Um, So last year we even did a preview screening of Bullet Train, which is a major Hollywood film um, based on a Japanese story, a lot of Japanese actors, but you know, a little bit farther away from from the
0: core of what we do.
1: You know, personally, I would love to present the Witch House Speed Racer sometime. I I love that movie.
0: <laughs> when it came out. I would show up to that. Um, that would be a fun time.
1: I, I feel when that movie came out, it was panned, but oh, over the really decades was. since, people have realized it is brilliant. So, you know, it, it's as long as there is some connection to Japan, it, it's something we can look at um but but yeah other than that you know, not much would exclude a screening uh from our building i think we could also talk about subject matter and if it's anything that is too race or explicit we have to I talk about i that. was gonna
0: say there's a whole genre of japanese film for people don't know called pink cinema that probably is in a theater nowhere n- near anybody ever just totally. because of and, you know, with- the racy subject matter some of them may be of note but they're not anything that mm-hmm. I would certainly want to have to sign a flyer get anybody to sign a flyer to show or to be shown in a theater
1: yeah yeah but you know it's we we have presented titles like that before i think it's just pre- presenting them within context um or one example that this is animated, but we did uh, the restoration premiere *Belladonna of Sadness*, which okay, is yep. an absolutely beautiful animated art film from Japan. Um, not for kids, but you know, it, it was a significant film. So I think, you know, as long as as long as we can present it with context, even if it is more extreme subject matter, it is something we would explore. Um, but again, like. The overall goal is providing balance within what we show and a purpose, a reason for why we're showing it.
0: You kind of answered this before, but when you do, when you do a deal to screen a film at Japan Society, who do you typically deal with? Do you you deal with, do you deal with di- the studio directly? Say like a well, if it's an anime. Like an anime, the the actual anime studio that's on the release, like they. Yep, great question. So
1: we are based here in America. So if if a title has U.S. representation, um, we do work with the U.S. distributor. Um, so that that's the way this business works. Um, so if there is someone that has the U.S. rights, that is who we we approach first. Um, if it is a title that does not have U.S. distribution. That is when we would talk to a Saintsaru, we would talk to a Trigger, we would talk to a Toei, a Toho, whoever um, has the has distribution over in Japan and probably still does have the global rights as well. So that that's how we would approach things. But again, it it is title by title based upon just how accessible. It is.
0: Are there any films that you hope that you're hoping you can get? To be screened that you're not in talks for yet, or that you can talk about that you're in talks for.
1: uh, sure. Yeah, well, I've already mentioned Speed Racer. Yeah. Uh, Um, we've not seriously. I really hope you get Speed Racer. uh, At at some point, that will happen. Um, the the other title that I know Alexander and I would both love to present is Macross. Do you remember Love? This is the original. Oh, that would be film. great. Um, I I would love to do that. I think Macross has a let's say complicated history with rights in the U.S. Um, I'm well, the amazed. window's finally
0: open now um, because uh, Harmony Gold, go Gold just like loosened its grip, and so maybe you can get it stuff now finally. So so yes, within the
1: past few years, um, the the availability of Macross in America has dramatically changed. Um, You've seen Fathom events, do screenings of Macross Plus, I believe of the Macross Frontier films as well. Um, More and more Macross is accessible. And I I am looking forward to presenting any Macross I can. Um, Do you remember Love remains in in limbo? Um, I think it is something everyone would like to show, um, but it remains elusive, even with the, the changing um, relationships to, to Macross in America. So I think that is, I know that is Alexander's holy grail for what he would like to screen. Um, definitely something I, I would look to screen as well. Um, I think see behind me the, the amount of Macross just ephemera on the wall. Um, but but yeah, so, so Speed Racer and Macross.
0: I know you've only been here, I know you've only been with Japan Society for a month or so, but Are there any films that you've screened that stand out to you? We've already talked about Ramayana, which is a one of two um, opportunities show in America, which is a big deal, and that
1: was so. So, I guess the a few things that stand out from recent memory, Um, and the first is Angel's Egg. So, this was screened before my time here. This is one of those films that Alexander spent a Herculean amount of time and effort to secure. Angel's Egg is a, a absolutely beautiful, breathtaking film from Amara Oshii that has no official distribution in the U.S. Um, and Alexander spent a lot of time to secure this for us to officially present. Um, so, absolutely thrilled that we were able to present that at Japan Society. Uh, so that that's, I think, a high water mark of the kind of just rare gen that we can present. Um, two other things that, that I think just stand out. I I am very happy whenever we do Ghibli. Um, again, like Ghibli is you can see it anywhere, but to do it in thirty-five millimeter is still something that is not not a common occurrence. So we're yeah the whiffer of the heart
0: present um... that. The Whisper of the Heart screening that we were both just at was absolutely phenomenal. By the way,
1: absolutely. And what what's super cool, like you look at Whisper of the Heart, so that that was sold out. Um, what I love with Ghibli is it does it does bring a sellout crowd. And what what I like about that is the crowd. Like you were there, just looking at the the number of different people coming together for for a film like that. Um, and it is everyone from anime kids w- with, you know, my her academia, key change, key to, you know, cinephiles, college kids, everyone in between Japanese expats, moms and dads. Like I like the, the, the community that comes together for something like that. So always thrilled by presenting Ghibli in 35, um, another screening that is actually coming up next month. Um, This is going out on Sunday, you said?
0: Yes, totally.
1: Oh, okay. Cool. We will have announcements by Sunday. Um, We are presenting a a back-to-back screening of two of Makoto Shinkai's earliest works. Um, Shinkai is the director that's globally beloved for Your Name and Weathering With You. His newest film, Suzume, is coming out in April and in celebration of Suzume's May's coming release, we're doing a night of his first two films. So at the end of March, we're presenting The uh, Place Promised in Her Early Days, which is his first feature length film. And we're coupling that with Voices of a Distant Star, which was his original half hour short that he had single-handedly written, animated all by himself on his home computer. So I I'm very excited to present these works that are not seen as much as his more uh, more current things.
0: I'm very and excited to show up and cry people. for that um, entire time because that's what will happen to me. I,
1: I will say, "Voices of a Distant Star" of everything he's done remains my favorite. I think it is such a succinct gut punch, um, and, and You're not wrong. The 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 ending theme still makes me cry. Uh, I think it is beautifully executed. I think it tells just such a fantastically simple story. A- and I love, what, what I love with, with Voices so much is how it is both this love story, but also it's all wrapped around this this like bit of science. Uh, and, yeah. and just love the use of science in this emotional story as it's a very scientifically accurate science fiction film that uses science in a way that, you know, seldom do you see in science fiction. They just wave away the the immutable fact of time and space that is the constant in Voices of a Distant Star. Um, so yeah, I'll probably give a three-hour introduction to that half-hour movie. Um, but so <laughs> so we're showing both of those back-to-back on March
0: 17th. Um, I, I, and, uh, I remember seeing Voices of a Distant Star... By myself, on a laptop, in like the middle of the night, and it—I mm-hmm. was, would—I was—I so, was broken by the end of that. That and yeah. places promised in our, and that and um, in this corner of the world, like mm-hmm. wreck, wrecked me. And we're both yep. similar scenarios each time. And I should have known going into in this corner of the world. Like I'm starting this right now. This feels like when I watched. Voices of a distant star. This is not a good idea. Like I'm not gonna be okay after this. But now with something like that, where you where it's a director, anime or otherwise, who's really well known for a really commercially viable film like, um, Your Name, or slightly less though with Weathering with You, Weathering with You, but also Weathering with You. What do you hope, say the common viewer who's familiar with the, with something like a weathering with you or your name gets out of seeing something so early from Makoto Shinkai because lots of lots of people talk about anime on the internet me included say the reason that your name took off was he finally got the formula right <laughs> because yeah i mean love him or hate him he has a definite formula that he does oh, totally in his film and, and that and specific one. It's like oh you gave this one a happy ending and that lets everybody like recommend that you go watch this movie now mm-hmm. a little bit well uh, well i think y- 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 you nailed it
1: like it's when you when you see our description for our night, like that's exactly what we talk about that while weathering and your name are global phenomenons he didn't emerge out of nowhere and you look at his early works both stylistically and narratively he's playing with the same thing that that he does in his latter titles um and i think it's very curious important and just meaningful to to see how he was tackling these subjects in now in uh, in I should know the year I think it's 2002. I don't know off the top of my head either
0: yeah okay
1: 2002 yes um so like it's to to see the the difference between how he's approaching these subjects in 2002 versus here we are in 2023 and what wow 20 years what what 20 years ha, ha, have done to to mature his voice as a director um it's it's so interesting too like I still, picture him from those early works and, and still remember him as being this fresh emerging voice in the anime scene and the the dude just turned 50 like it, it's
0: so that blows my mind i don't even think i knew how old he was him and Mama yeah, yeah. i have no just idea how old they are um
1: so but like it's the point is is access to his earlier titles to to show you know where he started from, to, to give this the, the, the credit, the accolades it deserves. And I think for for fans of his more popular works, I think it's really informative to, to see this. But also, in general, they're marvelous movies. Um, and even if you've never seen a, a Your Name or Weathering With You, it's I think these are beautifully told stories um, and well worth well worth the evening
0: and for anybody who's listening to this who's slightly who saw it was slightly odd the slight down note about climate change in weathering with you that did not come out of nowhere for shinkai She ends on down notes all the time i came out of that movie being like he couldn't quite get the uplifting ending out of that that I think everybody wanted him to do. But also with Makoto Shinkai, I'm just happy I can still go home and not cry myself to sleep. How how long were you a member of the Japan Society before they like brought you into the fold, so to speak? Um
1: I'm trying I have to think when I became a member. I know I have been attending programs here probably for 20 some years. Um, I moved to New York in 2005 and I think I've been attending things here for for almost that long Uh, I know the first Japan cuts was 2007 um, and I know I, I was there so so yeah like pretty much the entirety of my my time in New York I've been around this space in some way shape or form.
0: I know that I, I know but... that Anime NYC what is now like a huge thing and I remember I remember the first year that I remember I vaguely remember the first year Anime NYC started. I remember going to um the Big Apple Anime Festival before the Republican Convention actually took that time slot and kicked them out of the mm-hmm. Times Square Marriott. How different is running this kind of thing since it's all year round from running something like anime nyc which involves tons of international guests and like lots of screenings lots of panels i've been a panelist at a a staff of just like everybody from people have done this before to the kid who is really lucky just to be a staffer and feels really lucky to be a staffer Mm -hmm. How is it different running the two things?
1: It's a great question. Um, It's a great question. Uh, And and I think it's both easier and harder doing what I'm doing now. So I think with NYC, it is one big event, one big moment. And I am legitimately spending 12 months out of the year building for three days. Um, So It's a whole year to plan something, which does let you spread that planning out over many, many, many months. With Japan society having a number of things we're planning concurrently, it means there isn't that luxury of a full year to plan. Uh, Yeah. So I am right now planning. Our March screenings. We are planning the April film series. We're planning Japan cuts. We're planning other things farther, farther out. Um, so How far in advance?
0: Planning- How far in advance do you typically do you typically plan a screening? Just out of curiosity, because I know uh, I know from just watching you answer those questions here, and also seeing the announcements go up that you you necessarily ha- probably have to be very careful about when you announce things and when you know for sure if something going to go out or don't know yet
1: totally yeah and again i'm going to default to every screening is unique so we do have for example i would say we have monthly events right now as far out as as june put together so we've got a calendar up to june and then july is moving to japan cuts so there's a lot of our work where the first half of the year is done. That being said, there are then those irregularities, those uh special cases where we um we have a thing we want to do, but it is going to take us 30 days to attempt to figure out if we can do it. So I I would like us to be working on average three to four to five months ahead um just to to make sure we are announcing well in advance, doing all that stuff in, in a sensible manner. Um, but again, some things happen very last minute. Some things are, are planned months and months out. Um, you had another question, didn't you? Oh, oh the other part was, was then, um, so it is more difficult in that I have less time and that I am juggling more different deadlines for all of the different types of events we're doing. That being said, I will say I now oversee a 260 seat theater, um, and <laughs> we are doing one event at any given time. And the amount of, of gray hairs I I will get from that are far fewer than the the circus that is Anime NYC. The,
0: the circus that uh, I'm sure plan. I'm sure you yeah, are that that decades is decades older, having dealt with the Javits Center at all.
1: Uh, I wear a a a baseball cap now because of
0: all the gray hair and and, and
1: thinning (laughs) hair that occurred during my time in Anime NYC. Again, I love it. Um, But yeah, no, that is a year to plan a circus. But when that circus comes to town, it is 50,000 of my closest friends all coming to that party. And it is 15 things going on at any given time. So it, it is the fraught nature of all of that happening simultaneously. So Japan society different and more difficult and that there are more things year-round. However, none of those things, even Japan cuts, are that same severity of, of 50,000 people trying to come to the Javits Center.
0: Oh, yeah, I, I bet. Now, this is going to be an odd question, and feel free to take the fifth, because it's going to be a very odd and potentially controversial question, but are there... Licensers who would not work with you to show things for, say, an anime convention, but who will work with you and will show things for Japan Society because the different kind of more internationally renowned thing. Because all of a sudden you're calling from a phone number that has a little bit more weight, seemingly. And it's a mind. great question.
1: Um, yeah, I so. I don't know. Like what I will say with with anime NYC, I could do pretty much anything um, in the anime space. And I think it was more difficult when I was calling as anime NYC trying to do anything that was not anime. I, I think it was yeah. actually trying to show, hey, I'm a cartoon convention, but here's where I want to do this, this thing.
0: Um, but trust me, they'll actually, show up for this. They already are.
1: Yeah. So Japan Society, we, we do have those relationships with live action distributors, so, so yeah. those exist. I, I'm actually talking to all of my friends in the anime world now just to say, what can we do? Um, as I'm now in a place that is very different from what they're typically used to. Um, yeah. But I would like to try to present you know anything we can that is appropriate for Japan Society. I think the the one thing that I've never been able to crack are um, organizations like a like a Netflix or an Amazon or a Hulu to try to work with them? Netflix especially is investing very, very, very heavily in Japanese content um, and would love to see whatever we could create to help premiere preview um, anything that they're doing so so Netflix um, please give me a call <laughs>
0: Now, this is something that I just I just wondered about Anime NYC. Anime NYC has always been heavily branded alongside Crunchyroll. And Crunchyroll went from being, and not I always talk about this, but I'm sure I scream into the void a little bit. Crunchyroll went from being a pirate site that collated people's fan subs to being Crunchyroll. And now they're so big. What was it like working with them as like the backing behind the convention, basically, at the end? And has any of that like way fallen away since you've like jump shift to, yes, a bigger deal more year round position, but a position that is not can't throw its weight around because it's not necessarily the 800 pound gorilla in the room.
1: So I, I think a, a few different things. Like one, like Crunchyroll definitely did have, you know, it, its unique origin story, and they, in their evolution, they changed the industry multiple times. Way, um, way, 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 way back, um, before Anime NYC, I did all the content for New York Comic Con, um, and. Back then, when Crunchyroll was still focused at, as a unofficial site, we we couldn't work with them. Like there, there was no oh, way. Oh yeah, I would imagine. Like as, as, as soon as
0: as soon as you picked up the phone, you would have lost like five presenters because they would have pulled out because so, they're like they're not paying licensing fees. We're not talking to you.
1: Yeah. So so yeah. So we we didn't have a relationship with them in their initial phase. However, that being said, Crunchyroll was. Very keen to want to go legitimate and and did. And you look at what they've done after proving the model after after seeking the rights, they have reshaped the industry. Um, they reshaped it by defining streaming, and now they've reshaped it as being the, you know the most prevalent streaming platform around the globe for anime. Um, and a lot of very good friends there. Uh, when we launched Anime NYC, they were the very first people we spoke to. They are still, after five years, every single year they have been the title sponsor of it. Um, as we, were, we spoke to them before anyone else, they believed in us very heavily. And to this day, very close, very strong partners. Um, so... So, yeah, like it's they are continuing to do new and innovative things. And ideally, we can figure some stuff out with them at Japan Society, too.
0: Yeah, because I, I I know that they they announced actually probably while you were still at NYC, they announced that they were just going to start bringing movies whole cloth to Crunchyroll for many, 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 many years, basically not until recently anime movies was not the thing that they did at Crunchyroll because probably they just Mm -hmm. couldn't work out the licensing properly for continuously streaming because that's not the way licensing works for film versus TV. What is like, would be your perfect partnership with say a streaming, a streaming company and Japan society for, Showing any kind of content, film, television, otherwise, because I- I've lost touch with live action J dramas mm-hmm. since I was in college, where I was a little bit more aware of them. But mm-hmm. that seems like a great font of entertainment that's very representative of Japan, especially currently, that isn't totally. really represented yeah. anywhere.
1: It is not. And I feel, I think, two ways. Like One, I think anyone in the streaming space that is presenting live-action Japanese content, I think Japan Society would love to talk to them about how we can help present anything live in New York. I think the other piece, too, um, I have a 260-seat theater that that fills up all the time. And to your point, there's a lot of Japanese media that does not have much access in the U.S. So... I think one thing that we would love to explore more, are there any partnerships that we can work on with streaming sites to provide more access to the kind of content we present here? Uh, Again, I I love being in New York. I love presenting what we present, but I also know that there is a appetite far beyond the audience we reach that would love to see this. Um, so who knows, but I think that that is a new frontier and something that ideally we'll, we'll be uh, dabbling in a bit more.
0: So um, this is where I'm going to leave it with you. Thank you so much for um, coming on the show and answering all my questions, even the ones that were not super planned. Um, I if, if you ever want to come back, you are fully welcome. Uh, where can people find Japan Society? Where can people find you and portion social links, all that stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, so we are at japansociety.org. Um, my name is, is Peter Tatara. I think I'm just Peter Tatara at Twitter. I'm pretty sure that's me. Um, but uh, I'm too old for an Instagram account, so I'm sorry about that. Um, but yeah, japansociety.org. Um, we've got our current film calendar all up on that. Um, We also have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd for Japan Society Film. Um, So follow those as well. Uh, What else? Where else am I? I don't know. Uh, I guess the other thing you had mentioned, you're a member. uh, If uh, if you're not a member and you want to become a member, you should. One of the best perks um, is tickets for our monthly screenings are $5. That is the... Best deal in in movie theaters in New York City. That really,
0: um, I, I'm like, I'm just joining this because I want to go to five dollar movies once a month. That, at least, that's
1: you. You do the math; it pays for itself. Not, not that, uh, not that far in the future. But, but yeah. So, like, it, it's it's a. I've been thrilled to be here for a month. Very excited by uh, what what we have in store in the future, um and can't wait to start debuting more of that soon.
0: Great. And so I'm going to do a canned outro so you don't have to sit through that, but um, thank, thank you so much for coming on. Once again, if you ever want to come back on, if you ever want to use this show as a show for promotion for something, say you fulfill my dreams and you're like, we're showing ocean waves on the big screen <laughs> and we need to put butts in seats. Let's talk about this weird made for TV I movies. remember
1: seeing it at IFC Center and being very confused
0: <laughs> I just remember thinking that, that thing, I'm like, oh they made a mumblecore movie about nothing for TV this is it's, great it's,
1: it's nuanced it's
0: nuanced Um, it's, it's, but I remember bringing that way. up at the end of after the Whip of the Heart screening and you and the other person we were talking to was like, that is that is really low key
1: yeah yeah
0: um but if you ever want to promote anything feel free to hit me up um you have my email um but mm-hmm. once again thanks for coming on it was great to talk to you now i'm going to mm-hmm.
1: absolutely cool, line. cool, and hopefully i will see you at our shinkai night
0: oh yeah i will Be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review in the podcast app of your choice if you like the show. And follow the show on Instagram, at lunchboxradio underscore podcast. I'm Alex, and this has been Lunchbox Radio, Sunday edition. Talk at you on Thursday.